Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. If you are listening to this, uh, you will quickly realise that the recorder broke uh, during our Sunday meeting. So you're now listening to me talking to myself in my living room, which feels a little odd. Uh, But if you missed out on Sunday, do stick with it, as we're going to be looking at the foundations of what we'll be working through as a church over the next couple of months. And I'd like to begin by sharing some words that Jesus spoke to his followers. Uh, This is from Matthew 11, uh, and it's the message translation. It says this. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I remember lying in my garden reading those words just over two years ago. It was May 2020 and like most of us, I'd read those words before um, in a different translation, but all the same. I knew them in my head, but something about this time just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I was tired. I was worn out. COVID had just hit. I was splitting my time between crazy hours working in the hospital um, and also trying to keep um, the charity that I run, uh, which was supporting vulnerable people alive at the time. Um, And if I'm really honest, I was burnt out on church. And I'd realised something was wrong. The, The Bible promises life and life to the full, a life full of joy and peace and contentment, this true soul rest, this life that is free and light. But my life just didn't feel like that. I was always busy. Uh, I was always tired. I was wrecked with worry, just kind of anxious all the time, that sick feeling in your stomach. Normally about, did number 11 have enough money? Worrying about maybe staff problems or, or what people thought about me. And the busyness and the stress and the worry that is so normalised in our culture has almost become normalised in the church. And it's no wonder that so many can be burned out on religion. You know, there seems to be this gap between what the Bible shows life can be like and the reality of how many of us feel. And I just wonder if you're listening this morning, have you ever felt like that? And today as a church, we're going to start a new series. Uh, We're going to be looking at this in our sermons, in our community groups, and I'm really excited by that. And I'm excited because I've been on a real journey over the last two years, working through some of the stuff and the passages, the material that we're going to wrestle with. And whilst I still feel like I'm at the beginning of that journey, um, over this time I've found a new freedom, a new peace, a freedom from worry, a freedom from so many of those things that were holding me down. Um, And we use the word life-changing far too much, I recognise that, I was talking to someone about my slow cooker the other day and I told them it was going to change their life and in hindsight with a bit of reflection I was I was probably lying there um it's great it's fantastic please do buy a slow cooker but it's not going to change your life um I am not lying to you when I say following Jesus apprenticing under him will change and transform your life 
And so over the coming months, we're going to focus on a series that's called Practicing the Way. It was originally run by Bridgetown Church in America. Uh, And in a nutshell, we are going to see how training and practicing what Jesus teaches is the way we are set free from the tired, worn out, burned out life. And that's how we are going to find life and life to the full. And I hope you are excited about that. And we're going to start by looking at Jesus, which is normally a very good place to start. Now, Jesus was many things. He's the son of God. He is God. He was the Messiah. He was a carpenter. We could give a long list. But if you lived in the first century, 2000 years ago, the odds are you would know Jesus first and foremost as a rabbi. In fact, in the Gospels, if you look around of the 90 or so times that people refer to Jesus, 60 of them, they use the term rabbi. Now, a rabbi was a teacher and rabbis back in the day would travel around with what was known as their yoke. A yoke was a piece of equipment um, used in farming, but it was also an idiom for the set of teachings of a rabbi. So each rabbi would go around with their set of teachings. Each rabbi would have followers, which were called disciples, uh, and they would follow their teacher around, trying to learn from them, trying to copy them, basically trying to become like them. Um, And there is a lot of stories about Jesus, the rabbi in the Bible, Um, I'm just going to read a couple to you, first of all from Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 16 to 19. It says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I'm just going to turn over to chapter two. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Finally, chapter eight. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And I just wonder if you notice a pattern in those few verses from Mark. Jesus does not say, come believe in me and go to heaven, hurrah. No, the call of Jesus is to come to follow me, to deny yourself and become a disciple. Now, the Hebrew word that is used is Talmudin. We translate that um, mostly to disciple, but it could also be translated follower or apprentice. Um, And I think it's really important we get our heads around this world because we can miss the meaning. In 2022, we live in a world where follower means that you clicked a button on Twitter or Instagram and you have a vague interest in someone. And so when we talk about discipleship in the church, because we don't use that word anywhere else, when we talk about being followers of Jesus, actually we're using those words completely out of their original context. And so the world's very quickest history lesson. Discipleship was not invented by Jesus. All rabbis back in the first century would have had disciples. Um, And in the first century, discipleship was the top level of the Jewish education system. Um, So there are three levels. First of all, for all children, um, or all children from the right families, should we say, um, was called Beit Sefer. And in this level, you would memorise the first five books 
of the Bible. Now, that is quite an impressive feat. Uh, I think it puts uh, many of us to shame. But most kids, they would get through that uh, and they would finish their age 12. Boys would go off and apprentice under their fathers. The girls would help their mothers in the home. But the best of the best would go to the next level. So they've made it. They're the cream of the crop. And they go to level two, which was known as Beit Talmud. Now, this was a school off to the side of the synagogue, and the teenagers who went there would memorise most, if not all, of what we now call the Old Testament. Um, Now, that to me, that is mental. That really does put us to shame. Um, But at this point, almost everybody was finished. But the best of the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, they would become a Talmudim or disciple. Uh, Now this was hard to get into. First of all, you've got to come from the right families to get into the education system. You've got to get through level one, Beit Sefi, you've got to get through level two, Beit Talmud, and almost nobody gets this far. But if you do make it this far, you get grilled by the rabbi that you want to apprentice under. It's like an interview. You go, they will talk to you about your knowledge of the Old Testament, um, your knowledge of theology. Um, You will be grilled and grilled and grilled and grilled. And if they think there is a chance you could be good enough, they will turn to you and they will say, come, follow me. Come and become my disciple. Those words may sound familiar to you. Now, let's say that happens. Let's say you made it. You made it through all three levels. You've made it to the best of the best of the best. And you can become a disciple of whichever rabbi you choose. You've got three goals. Your first goal is you want to be with your rabbi. Literally 24-7. You want to follow them around. You want to eat with them. You want to sleep in the same place as them. There was a popular blessing phrase back then. May you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Basically, you are blessed to be with them all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Secondly, you want to become like your rabbi. So firstly, you want to be with them. Secondly, you want to become like them. Well, we look back in Mark chapter one that we just read and we see that phrase is fishers of men. Um, Now, often we just think of that as a bit of a cheesy pun, Jesus' bad sense of humour. But actually, fishers of men back then was a well-known idiom for a rabbi. So Jesus, the rabbi, was walking around basically saying, hey, you, come and follow me. I can make you too like me. I can make you into a great teacher and a great rabbi like me. Basically, come and learn how to be like me so that, third goal, you can do what your rabbi did. And this, we just, I think, need to pause to take this in because this is mind-blowing. If you are some first century fisherman, you are the bottom of the ladder. You didn't even make it into the rest of the Jewish education system because your family was too poor. You were from the wrong background. You just weren't good enough. And Jesus is walking around and he's offering you the lowest of the low chance to go to the peak, the top, the top of that system. Chance to learn from him and become his disciple, his apprentice. Have a chance to become like Jesus. A chance to live life to the full. Jesus is offering you the top level, the equivalent of a Harvard scholarship, and he is offering that to all. You know, when it, this is on offer, it is no surprise. We see it in these passages. Each of them get up. They walk away from their jobs, their nets. They walk away from their families because they get how amazing what Jesus has to offer is. So history lesson over. Uh, Let's bring it back away from the first century of Israel um, and let's bring it to Reddish in 2022. 
And you can see the word disciple in the first century is probably quite different to how we use that now. Uh, we think of ourselves disciples if we believe in Jesus and come to church. Um, but really, that is not what Jesus meant by the word disciple. And so for the rest of the series, we're going to use probably um, a better translation for our modern world that really captures the essence of the word. And we're going to use the word apprentice. And we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? And I think the first thing to say is it an opportunity to have a life that is the best of the best. No matter where you've come from, Jesus is offering a life and a life to the full. But it's hard work and it's 24-7 and it means we have to focus our life around the same three goals. The first one of those is to be with Jesus. Now this is by a long way the most important because this feeds into everything else. But the question is how do we do it? Because Jesus isn't physically here with us. Jesus' explanation in John chapter 15 is about remaining in the vine. And we're going to be looking at um, at this over the coming weeks. And we'll be exploring how to do it through our quiet times, through prayer, reading the Bible and worshipping and so on. But for now, I just want to share with you a quote. Um, a quote from a guy called Dallas Willard. And he says this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls, knowing that life to the full. Our part in thus practising the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Essentially, we're saying we need to put some effort in. We need to develop habits. In the early time of our practising, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. What we're saying here is essentially when we start out, we are not going to be perfect at this. We're going to get distracted. I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried uh, to have a really good quiet time where you're praying and you're just distracted. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about what's for tea, um, all the things that are playing through your mind. You maybe set a habit in place that, yeah, I'm going to get up um, early every morning. I'm going to read my Bible. And then you get distracted because you get tired or you're running late one morning. But he goes on to say this, these are habits, not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. I mean, this, this is incredible. It's one of the key um, aspects that we're going to be focusing on over the next couple of months of looking. Actually, we can change our minds. We can change our habits, we can change what we think about, we can change what we love and we do that by a process of training and it's hard to start with and we're not always going to get it right but gradually as we are transformed we are going to naturally focus our minds more and more on Jesus. He closes his quote by saying this, soon as we do this our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. You know, when we're trying to form these new habits, whether it's prayer, reading our Bibles, whether we're struggling with anxiety and we just can't beat it, it is hard to start with. And we try and we're going to fail and we're going to mess it up and we're going to mess it up. But as we train, as we do it more and more, it will change the way our minds think and work. It will change the way we feel. It will change who we are. Which leads us to the concept that is going to be most fundamental over the next couple of months that it is not about trying hard it is about practicing and training 
I want to um, introduce you all to my friend Luke. Um, if you were here in person, you would have seen us get Luke up to the front and embarrass him and make him wear my old running shoes. Because um, in 2013, I ran the London Marathon. It was one of the best and worst things I've ever done. I lost a significant amount of toenails in the process. And I think the less said about chafing injuries, probably the better. Um, but as anyone who runs a marathon knows, it is all about training. Now, Luke, who was stood next to me, he's a great guy. Um, he's not unfit fit, um, but I think as one of my close friends, I'm allowed to say it, he's not hugely fit. Um, and I know Luke is not a huge runner. He hates it. And I just want you to ponder the question, what would happen if Luke, as he was wearing my running shoes, went out and tried to run 26.2 miles? Now, I don't want to doubt him publicly. I don't want to shame him on a podcast. Um, but my best guess was he would make it to maybe mile three, possibly mile five, before he kind of gave up and stopped and walked. Or maybe he would just collapse at the side of the road and that would be very sad and never talk to me again. And I asked the question, what would happen if we just asked Luke to just try really hard, use all of his willpower? Maybe he could make it to mile four, mile five at best before he collapsed. And we also thought about, what about if we prayed for Luke? It's a very interesting question to ask as a church leader. Um, would, if we prayed for Luke, he be able to go and run 26.2 miles? Um, now, I don't want to give too many spoilers for later on in this series, but I would be prepared to argue if we prayed for Luke, Luke still would not be able to run a marathon. Now, I want to add a caveat to that. That's not because God can't, but often that is not how God chooses to work. When we have a process to go through, whether it is changing or shaping our character, God can do that. He could just download Matrix-style patience um, or the ability to defeat anxiety into our brains if he wanted to but 99.9 percent .9 of the time that is not how we see God work and so coming back to Luke right now it is not within Luke's capacity to run a marathon he could not run 26.2 miles even if he tried so hard even if we prayed for him we surrounded him we prayed for him we did everything we could he would not be able to do it but if we put Luke through a training programme, if we sent him on maybe a miles run today um, and he did that three times a week and we mixed it up with some long runs, some short runs, some track work, hill work. And then every week for the next few weeks, we maybe added a mile onto his longest run, three miles, four miles, five miles. And then we keep it going and we keep it going. And then we maybe knock it down for a week and we build it back up 17 miles, 18 miles. What would happen in six or nine months time? Luke would become the sort of person who can run a marathon. Right now, it is absolutely not within his capability as a human to run a marathon. But by chaining and training, if he chooses to, he can become the sort of person for who running a marathon is not only possible, but it is routine. And the same can be for us. And that is how we do goal two of an apprentice, which is become like Jesus. We form habits, we practice and we train. Now, you might be sitting there listening to this podcast thinking, yeah, that's great. But I'm just not the sort of person who can pray in a morning. You know, I've tried. I just find it really difficult to read my Bible. Maybe you're just I'm just not a patient person. I've always struggled with anger or one I probably hear all the time in church. I'm just an anxious person. 
Please let me say to you, do not speak that over yourself because that is not the law of gravity. It can change. Think of Luke and his marathon training. In his current state, he is not the sort of person who could ever run a marathon. But if he went through that training process, he can change who he is. And it is the same with all those things that we say about ourselves. Oh, I just can't pray. I find it too difficult. Oh, I'm just not very good at being patient. I just, I'm always a worrier. Those things can change. Change is hard. It takes time. It takes training, but it is possible. You can become the sort of person who loves to spend time in prayer, who is less anxious and becomes full of joy. How do we do that? We train for it. We build up habits and who we are changes. And over the coming months, we're going to call that spiritual formation. If you grew up in church, the more traditional word that we would use is sanctification. Um, But basically, in a nutshell, that means the process. Uh, And the important word there is process. It doesn't happen all at once. But the process of becoming more like Jesus, that is sanctification. It is spiritual formation. It is the process of becoming more like Jesus. What does that mean? That means less anxiety and more peace. It means less tired and burnt out, more content, less selfish, more generous, less frustrated with people and more patient. I could go on and on. And I haven't got all the time to go into it today. We're going to be spending a few weeks um, on this specifically in October, looking at how we change and how this process happens. Um, But essentially, the long and short of it, it's about us training to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. Um, It is a two-way relationship between um, us and the Holy Spirit and our job is to train to open ourselves up. The Bible talks about this a lot in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're taught to train in righteousness. Uh, Romans 12 verse 2 talks about that process of changing what our minds love and what we think about the renewing of our minds. Um, 1 Timothy 4 talks about training ourselves to be godly. Um, But the most important example that we're going to be using again and again over the coming months is in the book of Matthew. Now, at this point um, in the story, Jesus was in Galilee and the crowds were coming after him left, right and centre. And so he goes up on a mountainside. He sits down and he hits them with what is kind of generally seen as his core manifesto teaching. Uh, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And he talks about everything from love, adultery, prayer, the law, giving to the poor, fasting, where to invest your time. You're talking the full works. Um, It is almost the how to of how to follow Jesus in three chapters. It's the nutshell. And when he gets to the end of it, and there is some challenging stuff in there, um, He says these words from Matthew 7, verse 24. He says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He goes on to say everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man, the idiot. And that is what we are going to be focusing on over the coming months, we are going to learn how we practice the teachings of Jesus. How do we live out the life that Jesus lived and calls us to live so that we can know that life and life to the full that he promises us. We're going to look more and more about how that training is opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit working with us. Um, We'll look at what the spiritual disciplines do to us and how they change us. And we'll look at that two-way relationship. And we'll recognise more and more that we can't do it without the Holy Spirit, but he won't do it without us. 
And we're going to focus on those three goals. Goal one, be with Jesus. Goal two, become like Jesus so that we can goal three, do what Jesus did. Let's say you're doing an apprenticeship in plumbing. Um, Is your goal just to know stuff about pipes and plumbing? Absolutely not. Your goal is to do what your mentor can do. You want to be able to plumb a house. And our goal as apprentices of Jesus isn't just to know stuff about Jesus and fill our heads with knowledge. Instead, we want to learn how to live like Jesus did. We want to be like Jesus so that we can do what he did and live as he lived. And know that life to the full that he talks about in John 10. And as we draw to a close, I just want us to revisit very quickly the verses we looked at at the start in Mark chapter 8. He said, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple. The invitation of Jesus there is to become a disciple, not a Christian. The New Testament actually only uses the word Christian three times, um, generally not in the most positive of ways and certainly never by Jesus. And now contrast that with the word disciple, which is used 268 times. What's the difference? I mean, we can think about it as just simple semantics, but I think there is an important difference there. We'll be exploring this again later on. But in a nutshell for now, I think for a lot of us in our Western culture, being a Christian just means we vaguely believe in the idea of Jesus and we come along to church and we try and leave a semi-moral life. And for a lot of us in our Western culture, being a Christian can become about Jesus following us. We use Jesus when we need him, when we're sad, maybe when we need a prayer answering. Um, we do all the bits that we like. We love the community and church. So we'll come along and we'll do that. But the rest of our lives, we kind of keep it the way we want. And it's not really, again, a popular thing to say as a church leader, but this is a completely alien concept to Jesus and the disciples. To Jesus and the disciples, the first century context of disciple and apprentice meant Following Jesus being the focus of your whole life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even in the hard stuff. And in Mark chapter 8, the verse refers to the crowd and the disciples, these two groups of people. There are the disciples and the crowds. Now, don't get confused here when we talk about disciples. We're not talking about the 12. They're the apostles. And Jesus had thousands of disciples, people who followed him around, men and women. And what we see Mark do here. And it's not actually not just Mark who does it and several of the gospel authors do the same is they draw a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. It's almost saying to us this morning, which group are you in? Are you a face in the crowd who kind of just turns up um, to the bits that we enjoy to go and see when Jesus is doing a cool healing um, and that sort of stuff, but kind of doesn't really want to get stuck in? Or are you an apprentice, a 24 hours a day, seven days a week follower of Jesus? Because we can't have all the benefits Jesus promises unless we're willing to give up some of our desires and fully apprentice under him. If we want that life and life in all its fullness, we can't just be a face in the crowd. We've got to make that decision to become an apprentice. 
it's a, a challenging place for us to end this morning, but I'm going to be really honest, I am excited. I am so excited for us as a church over the next couple of months as we grow in our apprentices to Jesus. Now, it does not matter if you're starting a metaphorical mile zero, um, and this is the first time you're ever hearing about Jesus, uh, or if you've been doing this for many years, and maybe you're up a couple of miles. Because what we're going to see is we're going to grow together. We're going to see life-changing transformation as we learn that process of following Jesus. It's going to be slow and it's going to be hard. But we know that Jesus promises that life to the full. We know that as we practice being with Jesus, as we practice abiding in him, we will slowly be transformed by the Holy Spirit to become more like him. And we will know that life to the full, that life of less anxiety and more peace, less tired, less burnt out, just more content, less living in frustration and more patient, more full of joy. You know, man, do I want more joy. And on the Sunday morning, um, if you were there with us, we responded this together. We looked at how we don't want to just keep trying hard because we're destined to fail. You wouldn't go and beat yourself up if you went out and tried to run a marathon tomorrow. You can only do three miles. You'd recognise that you were at the start of your training. We don't want guilt and legalism. And we also recognise that training takes time. You know, you can't microwave character. It's going to be a long, hard slog over months and years and decades. But my word, it is going to be worth it. And so together on the Sunday, we practically responded. And if you'd like to respond, if you'd like to get in touch with someone, if you'd like to ask any questions about what we're going to be doing together as a church over the coming months, please do get in touch with us. You can find my email on the church website. But otherwise, for now, I'm just going to say, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just um, pray for every single person listening. Um, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you will fill us with your spirit as we go on this journey, Lord, as we learn to abide with you more and more, as we learn that training process of opening ourselves up to you, doing a work in us, as we learn to apprentice under you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will transform each one of us from the inside out as we go on that journey. Lord, help us to be um, apprentices and followers of you. We pray that in your name. Amen.